Amen, amen. All right, we're at the uh, end of chapter 5. We're going to get into chapter 6, the first several verses tonight. So if you have your Bibles, turn with us, chapter 5, and we're going to start reading right at verse 11, verse 11 of chapter 5. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. For when, for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. All right. So Paul is teaching along here, and, and he was sharing with the people, as we have shared with you before, he's writing to this group of really discouraged Christians who had been Jews, and now, now they're born again, but they're surrounded by this Jewish culture, and all of the things around them are pulling them back into the culture. So he's telling them to keep going forward. He's telling them not to turn back. He's really trying to rally their spirits, telling them that Jesus in his high priesthood is better than the priesthood of the Jews, that Jesus in his covenant is better than the old covenant, all these things. And so as he's writing, he's saying, you know, I really want to share more with you. Verse 11, he said, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered. It didn't mean that Paul couldn't say them. It didn't mean that he didn't have the right language or the right vocabulary to say them. It was that they weren't able to receive it. They had become dull. And we shared this a little bit about this last week. Now, for something to have become dull, to become dull means at one time it was sharp. So at one time, they grasped, they received, they understood the truth. Now here's the thing that you have to understand. Christianity and spiritual growth, just like in anything else, it takes work. It takes work. And so as a brand new Christian, sometimes we don't recognize the work we're putting into it, the time, the effort that we go to church, we pray, we spend time with the Word of God because we're just so excited about it. And it's just something new to us, and it's just fresh, and it's a blessing, and we want to be in church, and we want to hear everything the preacher has to say, and, and we like worshiping, and we like singing. But it doesn't always, doesn't always go like that. There's times that it's weary to the body. It's times that uh, it, it would be more comfortable to the flesh to stay at home. It's times that it would be more comfortable to read something that doesn't tax your mental powers or make your spirit have to stop and think and understand and so where once they had been sharp, they had been quick to receive, now they had become dull. And Paul was not commending them. He's really trying to tell them something. Listen, guys, I really want to share something. The limit is not with what I have to share. The limit is in what you're able to receive. And that's kind of sad. Because we all say we want to grow more and more and more. And as my pastor Pastor Davis used to say and used to bug me, you're as spiritual as you want to be, 
I didn't like that because I always think, well, I want to be more spiritual. No, if you wanted to be more spiritual, you would have taken steps to have been more spiritual, but you took as many steps as you wanted to get right where you're at. You have as much money as you want. You're as spiritual as you want to be. If you wanted to have more, you wouldn't have spent it on candy or spent it on whatever, whatever, whatever. Amen? And so he said, you're dull. I want to share more things with you. So how does one grow dull? Well, if something is at once sharp and you use it over and over and over again and you never sharpen it. So you think about a knife becomes dull when it's not frequently sharpened. Well, what frequently sharpens the Christian? The Bible tells us that fellowship with other Christians as iron sharpens iron. So a countenance of a man, getting around somebody else. You know, you have to understand, sometimes people get into church the last minute and they leave at the last, uh, the first second. And they don't understand, they think that their spiritual growth is just in what they get from the preacher, just what they get in the preaching. That's not true. A lot of our growth and a lot of our interactions are what help us to grow. You get around people and you, they're sharing what they read. Or you get around somebody and you see how they respond to somebody. You see how they react. And so you have a, a spiritual growth. The interaction among Christians sharpens us. Sharpens us. So we grow dull without our interaction. Service without servicing ourselves. Giving and giving and giving and doing and doing and doing and never taking time to sharpen our blade. You've heard the story before. A guy, he got hired uh, working uh, as a, a lumberman. And the first day, man, he was cutting down more trees than anybody else. But through the end of the week, by Friday, the time came. And the guy pulled him aside, gave him his last check and said, you're fired. He said, I don't understand. He said, I, I cut down more trees than anybody on Monday. He said, yes, but all through the week you went down. Now you're at the bottom of the list come Friday. He said, well, I don't understand. I work just as hard. We, and the man said, well, let me ask you a question. Have you sharpened your axe? He said, no, I didn't have time to. Well, of course, that's why he wasn't doing as much as he was on Monday. He started with a sharp axe. By the end of the week, he had a dull axe. He was putting forth the same effort, but he was getting less result. You know, we need to spend time sharpening our edge spiritually. Least we get weary from all of the service without having serviced ourselves, sharpened our own axe. Growing in knowledge and disciplining ourselves to do the things that we don't want to do. There was a study done among successful people. Brian Tracy talked about this. He said, they found that successful people were those that did the things that unsuccessful people would not do. He said the successful people hated them just as much as the unsuccessful people. They just made themselves do it. They made themselves do it. A little pain now, the pain of discipline, or a large pain of regret. The pain of discipline or the pain of regret. I th I'm not sure if I shared it with you. I may have shared it with you the other day. Muhammad Ali said he hated every day of training. But he said, I'd rather pay the price now and live as a champion later. Well, that's what discipline does. Discipline in our body. Discipline in our spirituality. Discipline in attending church and reading the Bible. And daily spending time with God in prayer. A little discipline now will save a load of regret later. 
Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, was sharing with his boss at the time about his idea of starting Amazon. And his boss thought and said, you know, that's a good idea. He said, but it's a good idea for someone that doesn't already have a good job. And Bezos thought about it. It made him stop and think. When he came back, he said, I decided not with my head, but with my heart. He said, I didn't want to have any regret in life. I didn't want to say if I had only done this. You know, sometimes you have to stop and think, what would happen if I just fully give myself to God? What would happen if I fully just gave myself to God? The pain of discipline is much better and easier to bear than the pain of regret. To read our Bible, to spend time talking with God, how about this? To be soul conscious every day. To be soul conscious every day. And I, I think about this sometimes, and we've shared with you before. Sometimes we're on a, you're on a mission, you've got to get into schnooks and get the bread and get out. You got to get in there, get the gas, and get out. And if you're not careful, you're in a hurry, and you, th- you forget, man, I got souls all around me. I got people that don't know Christ. Let me stop. Let me slow down. Let me remind myself. My purpose in life is not getting bread. My purpose in life is telling people about Jesus. And sometimes the littlest things can obscure the greatest purposes. He said, I've got many things to say to you, but you're dull. The word is nothros. It means dull, lazy, sluggish. As I shared with you last week, um, slothful. Plato used this for calling people stupid. They were not willing to exercise themselves to really get it. And as we shared with you, when a knife is dull, you have to use more force. It's dangerous for the user And it's messy for the things it's used on. And I I wrote this, and then I think after that I'd written it, I was cutting something and cut my thumb. Got a nice little slice right there. Because if you don't have a sharp thing, it, it twists. And then you begin to cut the wrong finger. Amen? We must start. Everyone is bad when they start something. And so Paul's purpose here is to kind of get them kick-started again. Hey, you're dull. You're sluggish. You got to pick up the pace. You got to get your, your hunger back again. You got to get that, that desire back again. You got to stir it up again. Do something on the inside. He's trying because he's going to take him to these deeper things later in the, in the book. But he's trying to prompt them. He's trying to prick them. He's trying to, to move them. Say, hey, listen, you can't stay this way. We all have seasons in life, maybe times when you're, you're riding high in God and then times you kind of come down and you got to say, well, I can't, let me minimize these down times and increase these up times. And I don't want it to be like this going down. Let it be like this going up. And so let, let God and the Word of God and the Spirit of God and prayer prompt me to go higher and not let the flesh and laziness in this world and, and its constant discouragement bring me lower. Let me surround myself with people that are egging me on instead of being surrounded by people pulling me down. 
If you're around a bunch of people that never want to go to church, they don't think about God. They're not talking about the Word of God. They're not, they're not spiritually conscious. You have to be careful at least you get pulled down into them. Now, I do not think and I do not say that you should create a Christian bubble and never, surround, never, never get around people that aren't Christians because we have to have an impact with the world. But we can't find our fellowship among unbelievers. Our fellowship, that which feeds us, that which we open up to and allow to speak into us should be Christian, godly, uplifting fellowship. But we don't want to live in such a Christian bubble that we never interact with those who don't know Christ and we don't have opportunities to reach them. We don't want to be monks. Amen? Amen. Going on. He said, Ah. You have need, you are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. He can't chew yet. All he can do is swallow, swallow that milk. And so he can't get anything beyond that. Now, that's fine for a baby, but I don't know about you. I'm not going to be happy drinking cups of milk all day. I enjoy a good steak. I like vegetables. Ice cream is a blessing. Amen? Amen. Not too much of it, but a little bit every now and then. It's a blessing. I like those good things. I don't want just milk all day, every day. Life would be dull and boring. Did have some almond milk today. But, I mean, if you had milk, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that's all you had. It's good for a baby. But even a baby after a while says, ah, give me something else. So he said, immature people are those that have need of milk and not of strong meat. They're not able to use it. Now I want you to check this out. Verse 14, strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now think about this. We have senses that we use to navigate through this natural world. Eyes to see, ears to hear, nose to smell, our fingers to touch. Our tongue to taste. Did you know that there's a spiritual realm that we use our senses into? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Did he mean there's something that we're going to take into our mouth? No, something that we're going to take in spiritually. The Bible said in the book of Revelation, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Did he mean that we're supposed to you know, take uh, uh, the plugs out of our natural ears? Is that what he's talking about? No, he's talking about spiritual sense. Amen? That we are not just a carcass walking through this natural realm, but we are spirits. We have spirits and we have souls and we have to, we have to navigate between both worlds. We are amphibians spiritually. Now, um, it means that we should be graceful in both realms. If you take a frog, a frog, if you put him in just a water environment, it'll die. If you put him in just an earth environment where no water is, it'll die. It needs both. It needs both. So we are both flesh and spirit. And we need to know how to operate in both realms how to carry this flesh in a godly way, a God-honoring, God-glorifying way, and also how to operate through the spiritual realm. We have, to op- we have to operate in these two realms at the same time. You're not just a body. 
but you're not just a spirit either. And there are cults that are based upon both of those two extremes. Some say don't worry about the spirit. Focus on making the body happy. Others say don't worry about the body. It's not important. Focus on the spirit. But we are both. That's why God wants us to cover our bodies, to be in modesty. Because our body reflects not just our flesh, but it reflects our spirit. It reflects our spirit. And then oftentimes what we put on our body can alter our spirit. You know how it is. You put your Sunday best on, you tend to walk a little straighter, you know. Ladies are primping their hair a little bit better. Everybody feels a little bit more um, extinguished, I mean distinguished, right? We live in two realms. Now he said, I want you to be able to be a full age, both in the portion above and this portion that we're going to go into. Remember, in the Bible, the original Bible, there weren't chapter headings. So we could just kind of read through it and we'd get the same thing. Actually, it's all going together. So in verse six, uh, chapter 6 and verse 1, he said, Therefore, leaving the principle of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. Now, doesn't mean perfect like we think, to where everything is, there's nothing wrong. It means maturity, age-appropriate maturity, age-appropriate maturity. So perfection for a two-year-old might be that they're able to walk, they're able to put food in their mouth, they're able to uh, get to the bathroom and maybe use it without uh, diapers, whatever. An age-appropriate maturity. So when we speak of Paul saying, let us go on unto perfection, he's pushing them. Check this out. I'm not going to allow you to stay immature. I'm not going to allow you to stay a baby. I'm going to pull you on to an age-appropriate maturity. You need to go on unto perfection. Now, this is, this is quite interesting when you look at this because you got to remember that the Jews, Judaism and Christianity, have a lot of overlapping truths. They have a lot of overlap. If you could have a circle here and a circle here, and they overlap Those overlapping truths are what Paul is talking about here in these first few verses. So he said, we got the doctrine of Christ, we got Judaism, right? He said, let us go on, listen to what he says, leaving, let's go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Does Christianity have repentance from dead works? Let me give you the answer. Yes. Okay. Does Judaism have repentance from dead works? I'll give you the answer. Yes. So to preach about repentance from dead works to a Jew, does that make them upset? No. They believe that too. Stay with me. Of faith toward God. Does a Jew believe in having faith toward God? The answer, yes. Does a Christian believe in having faith toward God? The answer, yes. Does that doctrine rile up the Jews at all? No. Going on. Of the doctrine of baptisms. Does Christianity have baptisms? Yes. Does the Judaism have baptisms? Yes. Yes, they had baptism in a very similar type thing, walking in newness of life. And a proselyte would be baptized. Um, so is that going to rile them up? No. Going on. 
of the doctrine of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Let me give you a clue. All three of those, same, same. In Judaism, in Christianity. So any of those doctrines that were preached would not make the Jews mad because they believe the same thing. What do you not see here? The cross. You don't see Jesus. We're talking about the doctrine of Christ, but he doesn't talk about that specifically. What would make the Jew mad? Talking about the cross. Talking about Jesus. Amen. Now, I want you to think about that. He said, Paul's saying, we got to go on. We cannot just avoid the touchy subjects. We cannot just choose the common ground and uh, stake our claim to unity among these simple doctrines that we both agree on because you can agree on those doctrines as a Jew and still die and go to hell. You haven't been born again. You still with me? Now check this out. Did you know that in our culture there are certain values that our culture espouses that we espouse as Christians also? Think about it. Would you, would, would you rouse up the hackles of our culture by saying, let's just love one another? No, because that's what they would say too. Matter of fact, they would say it in the sense, they would say that we don't love everybody because we tell people that if they're a man, they shouldn't love another man and marry them. Amen? So there is a common, a common thing. They would say, oh, yes, we believe that. We believe everybody should love one another. If we would say uh, to Christianity, Christians should take care of the poor, that's something that's in the Bible. Do you think that would rouse up the, uh, the hackles of our culture? No, because most people in the culture think that you ought to be kind to those who are less uh, blessed than you are. Amen? Amen. So we have these, these two circles again, don't we? This overlapping truth in between these two circles. We cannot stay in those areas that we have unity with if we're going to get the, the people in this circle, the culture that are unsaved, over into Christianity. Now, you might start there. You might say, you know, uh, you believe that we should love everybody, and Jesus did too. He went so far as to die for you. All right, now you're starting from a common thing and you're reaching out and you're bringing Christ in because it's Jesus that makes them upset. It's the cross that gets them bent out of shape. You still here? So he said, listen, we got to go on into perfection, age-appropriate maturity. Another word is that it means is completeness. We need to go on to completeness. So at this this stage in life, you're incomplete. I'm not going to let you stay there, he was saying. I'm going to push you on until you get to the place where you need to be. Now, here's the other thing. And that is, for every one of us, that's different. That's different. And you have to be careful not to look at some new Christian and pat yourself on the back because you say, well, whew, man, I am much more mature than that. Well, you should be. You've been around 10 years You've been around 20 years. You should be far, far, farther along than they are. Amen? And, and I like what one man said. The unfortunate truth is there are people that are not saved 10 years. They're saved two years, five times over. They're not saved for 10 years. They haven't had a growth of 10 years. They've had a growth of two years, and they just repeat 
They've never gone beyond that two-year stage. You follow? And Paul said, hey, wait a second. You guys, you can't stay here. You've got to move forward. And Christian, you cannot look at somebody else and say, well, they're not soul winning, or they're not giving, or they're not paying their tithe, or they're not involved in in one of the ministries, or they're not uh, teaching a class, or they're not uh, doing the crossroads, or they're not helping out with the... You can't say that and say, well, I'm all right. No, you should be more. Matter of fact, the Bible said you which are strong ought to bear the, the infirmities, the burdens of the weak. The, the whole reason that we are to get strong isn't to boast. Look how strong I am. It's so you get strong so that you can help somebody else. It's not about you. And if you never get out of that consumer mindset, because a Christian consumer just comes to get, Right? Just come feed myself. I'm going to get in. I'm going to get my blessing and get out. That's, that's the wrong spirit. No, that's almost like the devil. That's what the devil wants. He just wants you to, you know, service yourself. Take care of you. Just be all about pleasure, all about self. Hedonism, right? That's what hedonism is, isn't it? But God wants us to not be about ourselves. He wants us to be a contributor. So I get strong so I can help somebody else. And you have to think about that even financially. Maybe God will bless you so that you're able to bless somebody else. I mean, how much do we need to have? As I shared with you before, if you have, the Bible said, and check this out. If you're a young couple and you just got married and you've got God and you've got each other and you've got something to wear and you've got something to eat, you really got enough. Didn't the Bible say, having food and raiment, let us be there with content? Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't strive to be all that you could be. I think there's a gap sometimes. Let me say it this way. There's a gap sometimes if you are uh, able, if you're making $10 an hour, but you have the capability to make $25 an hour. Why don't you make $25 an hour? Do something with that. Maybe God will bless you. You're able to do something with it. Amen? Help somebody or, or better contribute to the kingdom of God or whatever way it might be. Now, what about spiritually? If you are only operating at a $10 an hour spiritual level, but you ought to be at a $30 an hour spiritual level. You're only only operating at this putt-putt level, but you ought to be a Ferrari. You ought to be a prayer warrior. You ought to be at the altar helping somebody pray through. You ought to be picking somebody up or out there sowing and convincing and persuading because you've spent time learning the Bible. You've spent time with God praying. You've spent time to get all this stuff. For what? So you can boast about it? So you can beat somebody down in some Christian debate somewhere? Is that really what it's about? you gotta get, you got to get graduated from selfism. Amen? you got to move to the next level. And that's what Paul was doing. He said, we got to go on to perfection, age-appropriate maturity, completeness. And that's the great thing about Christianity. Doesn't matter if you've been saved three days, three years, three decades. There's still room to grow in your life. You still got, you still have forward progress that you can make. And you ought not to be patting yourself on the back too long. Maybe you need a, a pin to kind of push yourself forward. Going on. I only got, actually my time is up. Uh... He said, let us go on. 
not laying again the foundation of repentance. I don't want you to, to live those same two years over and over and over and over. Go to the third year, to the fourth year, to the fifth year. Keep growing. Don't stop where you're at. Some of you Christians, Christian kids that have been raised in church, man, you ought to be the most godly people. You ought to be, when you hit those teenage years, you ought to be rock solid for Jesus and got your mind made up, winning your, your classmates, making a difference for Christ because you've had all of this instruction. You don't know how blessed you are. I wish I had some of that when I was a kid. I wish I had that godly teaching. I had a, a Holy Ghost-filled mom, a Holy Ghost-filled dad, and, and came to a church where the Spirit of God moved and miracles took place and all that stuff. And some of you take it for granted. Man, you ought to be impacting your world. Don't stop. Don't pat yourself on the back because you're living that three-month-old Christian life over and over and over again. And nobody's expecting you to grow any higher. God knows. Here's the thing that really bugs me sometimes. Sometimes people come around church, they know more than they, than they let on. They know they should be paying their tithe, but they don't. They know they should be soul winning, but they don't. They know they should be dressing right, but they don't. They know they should be doing certain things, but they don't. And they're pretending, well, the preacher doesn't know I know. God knows you know. I'm not your ultimate judge. Amen. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to be the guy standing on, uh, sitting on the throne. You're not going to be standing in front of me. I might be called as a witness. But we have a, we have a, a standing before God. And that's the thing that you ought to think about. One day I'm going to stand before God. God is going to hold me accountable for what I know, for how much I've learned. How long I've been around. I don't like this. I'm going to end with it, though. Think about it. If you ever look back in your life and you find times that you were closer to God than now, then something's not right. And you should be prompted to say, God, let me get closer to you now. Because I've been around longer. I should have walked with God more. I should have more Bible knowledge. I should have more maturity. I should be closer to God than I ever was before. And if not, God, help me to repent and get things right. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for all you've shared with us tonight. We ask that you would hide these words in our heart. Help us to reach that age-appropriate maturity, that completeness, that perfection that you've called us to. God, we can't stay in the shallows anymore. You're calling us to go deeper. The pain of discipline now is much better than the pain of regret later. God, we thank you for it. We give you glory and praise in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Hey, right at the service, we're celebrating Reverend Hill's birthday. His birthday's Friday. But we're going to celebrate today. We would have sent a text out, but our database was down. So come on downstairs. Make him feel old. Amen. Make him feel old. That's what birthdays are all about. Have a piece of cake and some ice cream. And then don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Remember, 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 remember. Thursday, Reverend Keckle will be here. Sister Keckle, they'll be preaching for us. The church is from Burke.